If you have your Bible with you or you're watching from home and have it on your lap, would you turn please to Romans chapter 5 today? Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Typically, in a service like this, we not only give thanks, but we do, in fact, look to the future. And so we have one eye on our past and another to our future. And as I have one eye on the past, I was reminded earlier this week of a letter from John Adams. Many of you know that John Adams was, in fact, one of our founding fathers. He was our second president. He was at, of course, the Continental Congress when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And Adams was so impacted by all that was happening in the Continental Congress then, and rightly so, that the day after, or a couple of days after, the vote for the declaration, he wrote to his wife, and he said this. The second day of July, 1776, that was the day of the vote, will be the most epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. From one end of this continent to the other, and from this time forward, forevermore. And of course, when we get to the fourth, we will naturally celebrate. We will have family and friends, perhaps for some barbecue. We may set off some fireworks. And naturally, we give thanks to God for his goodness and his faithfulness since the moment of our birth as a nation. But in the midst of all of our celebrations we are facing significant challenges as a country. And what does Scripture teach us? How should we respond in a manner that is prayerful, careful, cautious, but nonetheless face those challenges in a constructive manner? And so we turn this morning to Romans chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul, towards the end of chapter 4, has been talking, and in fact, in previous chapters, he's written at great length about the theme of justification by faith. Now, that's a theological term, which in essence means that when God looks at his children, he treats them just as if they had never sinned. 
Now, that's not a perfect definition of justification, but it's a helpful one. It's clear, it's accessible, it's easy to remember. And so he finishes chapter 4, you'll see it, verse 25, talking of all that Jesus has accomplished. He writes, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so you have that wonderful celebratory note of joy and thanksgiving for all that Christ achieved for us at Calvary. And then having focused on justification, he then takes us into chapter 5, and he writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he opens up the chapter with a past tense, a present tense, and then in verse 9, he goes on to say, we shall be saved. So the tenses are, we have been justified, we have peace with God, present tense, and future tense in terms of we shall be saved. And so, not only do we look with one eye on the past and one eye to the future, here is the Apostle Paul doing exactly that in Romans chapter 5. And so he writes at great length about the extraordinary blessings that belong to us as the children of God. In other words, when he draws us into a relationship with himself, it's not a transient, temporary relationship to get us through a difficult period, but when we respond to the love and grace of God encountered in the gospel, when we give to him our hearts, minds, and souls, we submit and surrender our entire life to him, then the peace of God becomes a living reality for us, not just for a weekend or a week or a period, but we have peace with God eternally, forever, every moment of every day, because of the immensity and intensity of His relationship with us. We have comprehensive, reassuring, deep, comforting peace. We touched on this several weeks ago. Do you remember when we were going through the serious encountering the power of the Holy Spirit? We spent a Sunday morning looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And we said the fruits of the Spirit, you remember, found in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. To know His love, to be transformed by it, to walk with Him each day, there is the peace of God. And then Paul takes us a step further. Notice what he says comes next. Not only do we have peace with God through our, excuse me, we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have access to His grace. Now, what does that mean? That means His undeserved favor. That means His love. Every answered prayer, every forgiven sin, every moment when we are unsure or fearful, despairing, He's right there with us, supplying to us 
his grace. Now, I mentioned this several weeks ago, so please forgive me if this is still fresh in your mind. In the epistle of James, which is just a spectacular epistle, and if you're unfamiliar with it, let me encourage you this next week to pick up and read the epistle of James. It can be read right through in about four and a half minutes, and it is filled with rich doctrinal truth, but also the most practical of application. And it's known, of course, for the passage on the tongue. But James also slips in there a famous verse, and it says this, He gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. Now, please remember who's writing. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who grew up in the same household as Jesus. James, who watched Jesus grow into his teenage years, watched Jesus work along with his carpenter stonemason father, played tag with him as a little boy, wrestled under the kitchen table, took the pillows and cushions off the couch and made a fort at home and had a wonderful time playing Romans together. That was James. And in those memorable words, he gives us more grace. Understand what he's saying. He's saying for immediate need, there's immediate grace. For those moments that are fearful and uncertain, there is overwhelming grace. Moments of fear, uncertainty, moments of despair and darkness and awful pain in our lives, there is overwhelming grace available to us. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying to us, we have access to the grace of God. God in which we now stand. What a wonderful way to open chapter 5. It's right there. Now, you may be watching this morning. You may be here live in the sanctuary, and you're saying, Richard, I think I'm with you. I got the justification thing. I understand the peace of God. I understand that we have access to the grace of God. Richard, I don't have any questions about any of them, but it's what comes next that I want to raise my hand and say, hold on a minute. Richard, doesn't the passage say, verse 3, not only so, talking about the peace and grace of God and the hope in His glory, he then adds, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And you may be saying, Richard, hold on a second. Is the Apostle Paul actually suggesting that we rejoice in our sufferings? Really? Is that what he's telling us? Because, Richard, this this doesn't so much sound like a paradox. This sounds like an absurdity. Richard, I don't honestly know anyone who goes around saying, yes, I failed again. Isn't that wonderful? Or, oh, the Lord didn't answer my prayer. How good is that? 
That's not what Paul is writing. What Paul is telling us is this. He's saying, take a step backwards. Having written at great length about justification and all that was achieved by Christ at Calvary and His resurrection, highlighting justification, he now takes us to sanctification. And sanctification is that theological term that reminds us that God's primary work in our lives is to make us more and more Christ-like as the weeks and months and years go by. And so, here is the Apostle Paul saying this, whenever God uses the challenges and the difficult and the hard days, those painful experiences, He will often take them and use those circumstances to develop and mature and grow you in the process. And so, when Paul says rejoice in suffering, what he's saying is this. He's saying what every biblical writer from Genesis to Revelation have already said. He's saying that in the midst of those challenges, who are you becoming in the process? Are you becoming more Christ-like or less Christ-like? In other words, he's saying to us, the biblical principle is this, that out of suffering comes perseverance. From perseverance, character. From character comes hope as He refines and shapes and fashions us to be more Christ-like. That's exactly where He's going. Because for us, when the difficult, hard days come, when we're fearful about our future, when we're uncertain where our nation is going, and we shake our head in amazement and think, how on earth can we make sense of this? What He's saying is, persevere. And as he lays all of that out, he also says, hope is not simply wishful thinking. The New Testament never uses hope in the sense that we use it in terms of, I hope the store is open when we're running late one night, getting home from work, and we need a pint of milk for our cereal in the morning. I hope the weather will be better tomorrow. I hope that works out for you. That's not how the New Testament uses hope. The New Testament's definition of hope is this. Faith in the certainty of the promises of God and their fulfillment. That's hope. Now, when we started earlier in our study, right at the beginning, I said on a Sunday like this, we often will have one eye to the past, but also one eye to the future. So, let me see if I can illustrate all that Paul is laying out for us here and illustrate it historically. Journey back with me in your minds to the colony of Jamestown, to the fall of 1609 and the winter into 1610. 
pilgrims had first arrived there around May 1607. They had established a small colony. Over subsequent months, couple of years, things were going well. But in 1609, as they got into the fall season, it had been a dry summer and a dry fall, and there wasn't much water. The water they did have was mixed with salt water. It was brackish. It was unable to be drunk. There was excuse me. There was 500 residents of Jamestown that fall. But by the following late May and early June, 60 had survived. 60 out of 500. No water, no produce, no produce, no food, nothing to drink. They were expecting a supply ship which encountered a hurricane on the Atlantic Ocean. And when they arrived, they were badly knocked about, some of them sick. They had no fresh water and very little food when they docked. And in June 1610, those early pilgrims, those initial colonists, got back on board the vessel, closed up Jamestown, and headed for Chesapeake Bay. And on their way to Chesapeake Bay, they discovered a rescue vessel from Lord Delaware. And you can imagine he was so celebrated, subsequent towns and states have been named after him. And when they realized that there was now a supply ship with fresh food and fresh water, they turned about and went back to Jamestown and they began all over again. But during what is called the starvation time, can you imagine how they felt? Lord, didn't you bring us across the Atlantic to begin a new life? Did we hear you wrong? Did we, were we mistaken? And now where are you as families and individuals are dying in huge numbers? We are struggling here. There is no answer to our prayers. What on earth is going on? And I cannot help but wonder if they turn to Romans 5 and read, perseverance brings character, and with character, hope. And when you are going through difficult days, when your back is up against a wall and your daily diet is tear and depression and uncertainty and fear, how do you respond to that? How do you engender hope? Well, you remember that having been justified by faith, you have peace with God and you have access to His grace. That's what keeps us going. That's what encourages perseverance and dedication and the ability to hang in there. James Russell Lowell, in a famous poem, many years later wrote these words truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth 
God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. And when you are uncertain about your future, when you are fearful about what is coming, please understand that God sovereignly, providentially, is still at work and hasn't given up on us. And in fact, I can't help wonder if when those colonists went back to Jamestown, returned with hope and a renewed perseverance and dedication, that they embodied a truth that would not come to be a living reality for us as a nation for another 200 plus years. And I wonder if it passed through their mind the principles contained in these words that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall not perish from the earth. No Jamestown, no 13 colonies. No 13 colonies, no declaration of independence. No declaration of independence, no constitution. No constitution, no birth of this nation. No birth of this nation, the First World War would have ended very differently as would the Second World War. God sovereignly, providentially, bringing to pass His purpose and His will for His children and for this nation. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not aware of anyone who believes that we are a perfect nation, that we always get it right, or we always know what is best. We are a nation who at times is flawed, who sins badly, and yet, in the grace of God, as He gets alongside us and enables us to stand together and help each other up, a nation willing to reform, a nation willing to grow, a nation willing to improve, a nation, one nation under God. And let me wrap things up this morning sharing with you three images I received recently. Three young ladies, images filled with hope. The first two sent by a parent in the congregation. And here we have Mackenzie and Sloan, age eight and nine. They were out with mom and dad recently on their bicycles. They came across a turtle trying to cross the road. They were concerned about the future of the turtle, so they picked him up so that he wouldn't be squished by the traffic, and they took him over and put him on the grass, and of course they posed for a photograph, as young, all young girls should, with a turtle, and they posed for the photograph, and in his email, Dad said the turtle was grateful for their help. He then added a second image. 
Sloan and Mackenzie again in their kitchen, I think. They have their new puppy dog in their pink Jeep, helping him around the kitchen. The jury is still out as to whether the puppy dog enjoyed being taken around the kitchen, but nonetheless, here they are having great fun, and clearly the puppy is in for a time of his life. Isn't it a remarkable thing that in the midst of a global pandemic, a national state of emergency, significant violence and looting in our major cities, loss of life, huge unemployment, that there is across our nation, we boys and girls growing up with the principles we hold to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. My final image She's not eight or nine. She's 96. Rose Graham, a member of our congregation in a nursing facility. Rose has a difficult time hearing you when you visit, but she's a COVID-19 survivor. She will be watching this for the first time this morning. Rose, good morning. I hope you're seeing yourself on the screen. That is a remarkable achievement, and we're grateful to God for you. Thank you for hanging in there. And Rose at 96 understands this. That suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And I would want you to remember this this morning from my perspective as someone still relatively new to these United States, I cannot help but prayerfully wonder, is the best yet to come? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace upon our lives. And thank you that you have shed your grace upon us. Enable us, please, by your grace, that in moments of uncertainty and fear and despair, moments when we don't know what the future holds, we can say again and again, we know who holds that future. Father, as we go into this week and move into all of the celebrations of the 4th of July, may this be a special season, a season of rededication and commitment, a season for searching out your presence and to pray for our nation. Oh, Father, hear our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name.